Hey friends, Pastor Justice here. I hope you're having a good new year so far. And uh, man, it's been a long time since I've made a video uh, like this. But this morning we were just having some audio issues uh, with the stream and in-house. And uh, the mic just cut out for uh, a significant portion of the sermon. And, and we know that many of you who are homebound or traveling, you really rely on this stream to get the Bible teaching every week, especially as we're journeying through the Bible together this year, that these teachings are kind of crucial to that whole experience. And then especially um, our women's jail ministry uses these teachings every week as they minister to women uh, in the local county jail and they study the Bible together and they're doing this journey with us. So if you're watching this right now from the women's jail, hey, how you doing? I'm glad you are uh, watching and, uh, you know, we really consider you a part of our church family here, okay? And so I'm praying for you and I pray that this teaching is a blessing to you and y'all's time together tonight. Well, would you uh, flip to uh, Genesis chapter 12 in your Bibles? And uh, as you're flipping to Genesis 12, I'll uh, catch you up a little bit. And as I've said, we're journeying through the Bible together this year. We're reading the Foundations 260 or the F260 Bible reading plan. And we'd love for you to be a part of that journey. And so um, all that is on our website resources on how you can jump in and get involved in reading the Bible with us. And, and I'm just preaching uh, through that reading plan this year. And uh, last week we covered uh, the beginning where God created the heavens and the earth. He created everything good and perfect. And then we saw the fall of man, how Adam and Eve, they sinned against God and brought sin into the world and fractured everything. And, uh, and the consequences of that sin not only affected them, but it affected the entire human race. And shortly thereafter, it didn't take long before everything was corrupted and wickedness was rampant throughout the world to where their thoughts and their intentions were continually evil always. That's what the Bible says. And so God says, look, we got to start fresh. we got to do something about evil in the world and wickedness in the world. And so he sends a flood and, and starts over and he saves one family, Noah's family. And... Uh, so he saved Noah and he kind of starts over as Noah being kind of this new Adam figure. And so then we get to this place today where we're introduced to this character called Abraham or as we'll see today, Abram and God changed his name. See, Abram means father, but God looked at him and said, I've got more planned for you. Um, you're not only going to be a father, you're going to be the father of multitudes. That's what Abraham means, the father of multitudes or the father of many nations. And he really is the father of uh, the Jewish people um, and the nation of Israel. And so that's where we get this song, you know, Father Abraham had many sons and many sons had Father Abraham. I was one of them. And so are you. So let's just praise the Lord, right? Arm, if you grew up in Sunday school, maybe you're familiar with that song. And so we're going to zoom in and study the, the beginning of the story of Abraham today. And I want you to see today, um, kind of the goal for our time together is that we would see that the consequences of sin have infected the human race 
and caused God to need to send His Son to pay the penalty or the price for something that we did. And hopefully, our time in the Scriptures today would would stir our hearts as we see the greatness of God and then want to worship Him with our lives. And so if you're in Genesis chapter 12, let's read the first three verses and then we'll pray. Genesis 12, 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred, from your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I'll bless you, and I'll make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and to him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you, Lord, for uh, gathering us around your word today. And I thank you for the technology that uh, allows us to uh, get resources like this out to people in, in different areas and stages of life, Father. So I just pray that as we study your word, God, that you would uh, teach us and show us by your spirit. That you'd open our eyes and give us understanding of your word and that we'd see how glorious you are and worship you with our lives. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. And so we're going to start out with this. There's two kind of big main themes here. And the first one is that God promises. God promises. We see that in these first few verses. Let's read back over uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and from your kindred and from your father's house to the land that I will show you. So here we have a command. He says, go. And there's really three things that God is calling Abram to leave. It says, leave your uh, country, his home region, to leave his kindred, that's his, his family or his clan within that uh, home, and then his father's house, that would be his branch within the clan. So as he's in, calling him to leave these three things, it gets increasingly difficult. Leave your country, okay. Leave your relatives, all right, all right. Now, now leave your immediate family, your father's house. And, and this was different than our day where we're really individualistic and, and maybe moving across country or to another land is not totally abnormal. But here, I mean, families for generations set up shop in one place. And so this was leaving all his security, all his comfort, calling him out of that, calling him away from uh, pagan gods. That's what his uh, Abram lived in what's called Ur of the Chaldeans. And it's a pagan land and, and they worshiped pagan gods. Uh, Nanar was the primary god. The god of the moon is what they worshiped. And uh, so the idea here is that Abraham wasn't looking for God. He wasn't seeking after God. God came looking for Abram. Um, and that's true for us. We weren't looking for God. We weren't seeking God, but God comes after us. You know, the Bible says that no one seeks God. No, not one. That, that in our depraved state, we can't, don't have the capacity to seek God, but praise God, He comes after us. Jesus Himself said, You did not choose me, but I chose you. And so He comes after us as He came after Abram. In our idolatry, in our worship of other things, he comes and he grabs us. And he calls Abram to leave, 
to leave his comfort zone. You've got to understand that Abram is 75 years old. We see this in verse 4. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed. 75 years old. And so he's older and comfortable. You know, I'm told that your older years, the later years of your life, are some of the most um, fulfilling and, and, and fruitful and comfortable years. You've, you've spent years working hard to be able to spend the end of your life, in many senses, um, uh, relaxing and enjoying the fruits of your labor. And so here's Abraham. He's, they've built a life, and, and he, uh, he's 75 years old. And that is when God calls him to leave the comfort of what he knows and what he's built and start a new adventure in his old age. Here's the idea is that age should never be an obstacle in our faith. No matter whether you're 80 or 18, it shouldn't be an issue in your faith. God is always wanting to call us into a deeper relationship with him. Uh, what's interesting is that he calls Abram at 75. He called Moses at 80. He called Noah at 600 years old. 600. You feel like if there was a time where you could relax, that's exactly when God's like, I'm starting something new and I need you, 600-year-old Noah, to build an ark. I just want to encourage you that, that maybe some of the greatest steps of faith that God will call you to are ahead of you. And maybe you are in your later years of life and, and maybe he's just now getting started with you. Wouldn't that be amazing? Well, God calls us to leave our comfort zones. What is God calling you to leave? Maybe he's calling you to go do something or go somewhere, or change something that can be difficult for you. Maybe he's calling you to an area of service, serving somewhere that's out of your comfort zone, or maybe starting a group or getting some people together to study the Bible together, and that's a little uncomfortable for you. Maybe God's calling you to share your faith, to share the gospel with somebody, and you're, you're overwhelmed by the reality of doing that. Maybe you feel introverted or, or quiet, or, or maybe you just don't feel like you have enough uh, answers to be able to do something like that. And he's saying, I'm calling you out of your comfort zone. I'm calling you to do something difficult. One author said this, that whereas Abraham acted wholeheartedly, but without absolute certainty, we demand certainty and act timidly. Isn't that wild that, that Abraham has no certainty, but he acts wholeheartedly? And we're the opposite. We need so much certainty. We are unwilling to move a foot until we know exactly what's going to happen and exactly what God wants us to do. But, but here, really, we should just step out in faith and trust God into the unknown, into the uncertainty. God calls him to go. And, and Moses doesn't know, I mean, Abram, sorry. Abram doesn't know where to go. God doesn't tell him where he's going. He just tells him what to leave. And what do you think Sarah said to him, his wife? What do you think Sarah said when he said, hey, babe, I, 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 um, the Lord spoke to me today. And she's like, oh, wow, great. You know, tell me about it, Abram. He said, well, well, he said that we need to leave our country and our family and, and our household. We need to leave all that. And she, She's like, oh, wow, that's, uh, that sounds, sounds scary, Abram. Um, uh, where is he taking us? Where are we going? I don't know, 
right? He just said to go. He didn't tell me where to go. So you can imagine that there's uncertainty in the family. There, there, there is a leaving the security and comfort of everything they know. The, the faith of Abraham is mind-boggling. Uh, John Calvin actually said about this. He said, I command you to go forth with closed eyes, kind of summarizing what God said to Abram, and forbid you to inquire where I'm about to lead you until having renounced your country, you shall have given yourself wholly to me. And so Abraham's faith is amazing because he uh, leaves everything and moves on into this new adventure all based on just a word from God. He's just trusting God's word, God's promise here. So God commands him to leave, and then God gives him this promise. Look at verse 2. He says, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so he gives him this uh, promise, and uh, it can be broken down into really seven different elements of this promise. You know, seven in the Bible is a number of completion. God um, created the, the earth in six days, and on the seventh day he rested. It was complete. And so when you see sevens in the Bible, a lot of times it's speaking to completion. And so here's a complete promise from God. Here's the seven elements. He said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And then he says, I'm going to uh, bless you, Abraham. He says, I'm going to make your name great. It's going to live uh, far beyond you. And here we are speaking of Abram. Even today, his name is great. God fulfilled that promise. He says, you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, but then you're going to go and be a blessing to others. He says, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. And in you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So we kind of see that this um, uh, promise falls into really three major categories. There's a personal uh, personal promise. He says, I will bless you. I will make your name great. That's personal. And then he, he broadens it out to a national promise. I'm going to make you a great nation. And then even further than that, to a universal promise, he says, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. He gives this beautiful promise. And uh, we're going to come back and, and uh, tease that out a little bit later. So God promises. He makes this promise to Abram. And then God provides. God provides. Look at chapter, if you flip over with me to chapter 15, it's just one page flip for me. And in chapter 15, uh, we're going to start in just verse 1 and see how God provides uh, for this promise. Uh, verse 1 says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, said, Fear not, Abram, I am your shield, and your reward will be very great. Yeah have to understand between chapter 12 and chapter 15, um, Abraham and Lot, his nephew, began to uh, go and follow the Lord into this new land and they began to build their lives and, and their livestock had grown so large that they had to separate. And so Abram and his nephew Lot separated their families and went separate ways, not because of conflict, just because of uh, practical reasons. And so they separate, but then all these nations in the region, they begin to fight with each other and go at war with each other. And Lot gets captured in this, and he gets kind of tied up in all of it. 
So Abram, he gets his men together and he goes and rescues Lot and does some fighting and helps uh, win some victory. And, uh, and in that, the, um, the king of the city that Lot belonged to wanted to give Abram a little gift and say, hey, thank you for, uh, for fighting and helping us win. And so here's, here's a gift for you. And Abram said, no, I don't want to take anything from you. Thank you, but no thanks. I don't want to take anything from you because I don't want anyone to say they are the reason why I am blessed while I am prosperous. I don't want any person to be able to say that. I want to be able to point to the Lord and say the reason why I am blessed is because of the Lord. And so he refused the gift. And so here God says, after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision says, fear not, I am your shield. He's like, I protected you in that battle, Abram. I know it was scary, but I was your shield. I am your shield. And he says, your reward shall be very great. He's like, I saw what you did. I saw how you refused that gift and you will be rewarded for it. And, uh, and so it's just amazing God's protection and provision for, for Abram. Verse 2 um, says, but Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my house will be my heir. So what he's saying here is, hey, God, you promised me a nation and an offspring, and, and, but I don't have any kids, and I'm old, and my wife is old, and we don't have any kids, so how are we going to build this nation that you keep promising me? And he's like, this guy in my household, he's going to get my inheritance. See, back then, if you didn't have a child, and if you didn't have anyone like uh, immediate family who you would give your inheritance to, you would you would adopt somebody so that they would kind of serve you throughout their life, take care of your needs throughout their life. And then they would get your inheritance. But they weren't your child. It was just someone you adopted. And he's saying, hey, God, uh, if, if you don't come through, if you don't give me a child, my servant here, he's going to get everything when I die. I'm not going to give anything, an inheritance to anyone. So it's quite a dilemma. But in verse 4, he says, And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he says, This man, the Lord said, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. So he, he reiterates the promise here. He's confirming this promise with Abraham, and he kind of expands it. In verse 5, he says, He brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, so shall your offspring be. And this is not like, you know, us today where you go out in the city and you look up in the sky and you can see barely anything because of the light pollution. This is ancient uh, Middle East, you know, night sky on a dark night, stars filled the sky. And I don't know if you've ever tried to count the stars on a, on a nice night like that. I haven't even tried because it's impossible. And so what he's saying is, hey, he expands this promise. Not only am I going to give you an, uh, an offspring, your descendants are going to be so many, you can't even count them. They'll be like the stars in the sky. And then in verse 6, this is Abraham's response. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. 
This is an incredible verse. It said, He believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. What did Abraham do in order uh, to get cre- the credit of righteousness to his life? Nothing. Abraham has done nothing in order to be called righteous up to this point. This is the beginning of the promise, and God's calling him righteous. So then what happened? Well, this is a, he just believed. He believed. It says that he believed the Lord, and they counted to him as righteousness. This is a major verse, a major verse. If it's not underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it. Genesis 15, 6. Highlight it, right? Um, Memorize it. This is a major verse in the Bible. It is referenced four times in the New Testament uh, as a basis for a foundational, essential doctrine in the Christian faith. And that is the doctrine of justification by faith. Justification by faith. That it's not something we do to earn our righteousness. It is something that God gives us whenever we believe on Him. And this is where it comes from right here. Uh, What we learn, three things about justification by faith in this passage is, is first one is that it's based on faith, that justification being justified means uh, made right with God, being declared righteous. It's just as if I never sinned. That's what it is. And uh, justification is based on faith. It's not based on works. There's really two major categories of religion in the world. One is works-based righteousness, that I earn and work and try to uh, please God with what I do. And, and, And yes, we should please the Lord with our lives and our decisions and our thoughts. But this one is, I'm trying to earn God's righteousness. And we can't, we can't do that. The other category is those who realize there's nothing I can do to earn a righteous standing before God, but it's I'm right before God because my faith and belief and trust in Him. All religions of the world kind of fall into that first category, works-based righteousness. Christianity is the only one that teaches that God justifies you because your belief, because your faith, because you trust Him, not because of what you do. So it's based on faith, and imperfect faith will do. Abram had imperfect faith. He still had doubts. He still had questions. Uh, He was still working through some of this. And this side of heaven, no one has perfect faith. And so he's like, I realize your faith in me is not perfect, but it'll do. You know, Jesus said, you know, even faith uh, as small to move a, a mountain, as small as a mustard seed will move a mountain. Like imperfect little faith will do. And then thirdly, facts about justification. You're not made righteous. You still sin, right? But you are accounted or considered or declared righteous. You're not, you're not made righteous in the sense that you never sin again. Like Abraham, he still sinned plenty. Like um, if, if you've been reading through Genesis, you've seen how Abraham, he goes into a land and And he's kind of scared that people will kill him or something. So he tells his wife, hey, tell them that you're my sister. And the prince of that land kind of takes his wife and almost makes her his wife. And 
It's just, it gets messy because Abraham is like this coward in, in some sense. And it's like, hey, hey, uh, wife, tell him you're my sister. It's just gross and weird. But he does it twice of all things. He does it two times. Figured he'd have learned his lesson after the first time. But anyway, so, so Abraham is not made righteous in the sense that he never sins again. But he's counted or uh, declared or considered righteous when God looks at you. He doesn't see your sin. He sees his son in you. He sees righteous if you are his. And so then he continues in uh, verse 7 and says, He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. He says, I am the Lord. And this is the, whenever you see in your Bible, capital L-O-R-D, that is referencing the covenant name of God, Yahweh. And so he's saying, I am Yahweh. What basically he, he says here is, um, I'm staking this on my name. He says, I am the promise keeper. I am going to keep my word. Okay, so I'm giving you my word. This is my name on the line here. I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said, Bring me a heifer three years old, and a female goat three years old, and a ram three years old, and a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all these, and he said, Cut them in half, and laid them over each other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down to the carcasses, Abram drove them away. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. I think the reason why a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him is because of what he's seeing and what we'll see in a few minutes. But, but here, what we see is what God is about to do is amazing. He is about to enter into a covenant with uh, Abram. And a covenant is a, a way to make an agreement with a person or a group of people. Or, uh, or with God, and there's really three different types of covenants in the ancient world. There was um, what's called a salt covenant. We see this in 2 Chronicles 13, where, where um, you would either exchange salt as kind of a symbol of this assigning of the agreement you're making, the covenant, or um, some traditions say that you would eat salt, you would eat some salt together, and that way you'd make a, a covenant together, and salt was really valuable, and so it was, you're putting something on the line and you're making this exchange. And there was a salt covenant. Uh, there, there was a shoe covenant, really the second kind. And the shoe covenant we see in Ruth chapter 4, where, um, where you give someone your shoe and they give you their shoe. And that's your way of kind of signing the covenant, the agreement. Um, and then there's the blood covenant. And that's what we see right here. And in the blood covenant, you'd have two parties and they would cut one animal in half and separate it. And uh, you've maybe heard the expression um, like cutting a deal. Uh, that comes from the idea of cutting a covenant. The actual word covenant means to, to cut. And so uh, cutting a deal, or actually I, I heard this week that some believe that uh, a ribbon cutting ceremony, kind of when you open up um, a, a new building or something, that that even is traced back to the idea of cutting a covenant. So you would... Take an animal, you'd cut it in half, gruesome, I know, this was, this was serious stuff. You would separate it, and, 
and, uh, and then there become this path of blood between the two halves of this animal. And the, the greater party, the one who was initiating the covenant, they would walk first through the path of blood. And initially they were saying, um, if I don't keep my end of the deal, let what we did to these animals today be done to me. So it's like, pretty much kill me if I don't keep my end of the deal. This was serious stuff. And then, and then after the uh, initiating party, then the lesser party would walk through and, um, to finalize the covenant. And it's basically invoking a death sentence on yourself if you don't keep your end of the deal. It's no coincidence or accident that God makes a covenant with blood. So this is a blood covenant. And, and what's God's end of the deal in this covenant? Well, I mean, we saw, he says, I'm going to give you a land and a nation. Uh, you'll be the father of multitudes and a blessing. Uh, a verse we didn't read in chapter 12. If you want to go back to chapter 12, verse 7, part of that promise was, it says, Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to your offspring, I will give this land. So he built an altar to the Lord. So he says, To your offspring, I will give this land. And that's really alluding back to what we talked about last week is uh, he said that the offspring of the woman would uh, bruise the head of the serpent and the serpent would bruise the heel of the, uh, of the man. And so the offspring of the serpent is the Antichrist and the offspring of the woman is the Messiah, is the Christ. And uh, Paul, he helps explain this encounter in Galatians 3.16, where he writes, Now the promises were made to Abraham and his offspring. It does not say, and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one in your offspring, who is Christ. Who is Christ. So he's saying here that this promised offspring is Christ. That God is saying, my end of the bargain is I'm going to send a Messiah. I'm going to send the Christ. Your end of the bargain, Abram, your end of the bargain is um, perfection. See, God demanded perfection because God is perfect. And to, end, to have intimate relationship with him, we need to be perfect. So he's saying, Abram, you have to be perfect, and if you've lived perfectly, you keep your end of the bargain. Now, now the problem with that is that Abraham can't be perfect. Why? Because Abraham has been infected with a sin nature from his father, Adam. See, Adam, he passed down this sin nature to all of us in humanity. And so Abraham whether he likes it or not, cannot not sin. So if Abraham walks through the blood of this covenant, and remember, you're saying as you make this covenant, you're saying, let this happen to me. Kill me if I don't keep my end of the bargain. So if Abraham walks through and makes this covenant, then he's saying, I'm a dead man. Because he can't be perfect. He's, he's pretty much done if he walks through. So here we see he cuts these five animals in half. And notice he doesn't just cut one. That's a, that was a normal 
cut covenant, blood covenant. They cut five. Like This is the seriousness of this covenant. This is a, a picture of what this would have looked like, uh, kind of a little painting of this scene where you have these five animals split in half. And, uh, and Moses probably spent most of the day doing this. You know, it's a lot of work to, to catch, you know, to rile these animals up, to slaughter them, to cut them in half, to spread them out, to do all this. According, it was, it was gruesome, right? Uh, but this is the seriousness, the weightiness of this covenant, the importance of this covenant. And we have a front row seat to the signing of this covenant. Look at verse 12 again, chapter 15. As the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram, and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell on him. Now, I think the reason why he had this dreadful darkness fall on him is because of what he was looking at. Look at verse 17. When the sun had gone down, it was dark. Behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. This is what he's seeing, this incredible manifestation here. And uh, on the day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your offspring I give this land. And so we have this smoking fire pot and this uh, flaming torch. And who is always, in the Bible, who is always connected to smoke and fire? Well, it's the Lord, of course. You know, look at how um, this fire pot, it would have been this pot um, where you has holes around it. You pour hot coals inside of it, and it produces a continuous smoke. And if they want to start a fire, they would, they would go and pour some of these hot coals onto some wood and start up a fire. But it was this continual source of smoke. And God is always connected with smoke in the Bible. We see this in Isaiah 30, 27, where it says, Behold, the name of the Lord comes from afar, burning with His anger and a thick rising smoke. His lips are full of fury and His tongue like a devouring fire. Well, that's intense. And then Psalm 18, 8 says, Smoke went up from His nostrils, speaking of the Lord. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from, uh, from, from him. And, and think about the, uh, when Moses went up on Mount Sinai to meet with the Lord and to receive the Ten Commandments, what happened? It says that the, the, the Lord descended on the mountain uh, like a cloud of smoke. This, this cloud of smoke covered the whole mountain. Um, but then the Lord's also portrayed, the presence of God is symbolized in the, in the Old Testament as fire. Fire. We see whenever he first met with Moses, he spoke to him through what? A burning bush. Through a burning bush. He, he manifested his presence in a fire. And in the wilderness, whenever Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, in the wilderness it says that they were led by day by a pillar of cloud and by night by a pillar of fire that the presence of the Lord led them through the wilderness by cloud and fire. So, uh, so this is the presence of God, this smoking fire pot and this flaming torch. This is a symbol, a manifestation of the presence of God making this covenant personally. So God is essentially saying here, Abraham, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain, but I'm also going to keep your end of the bargain, too. Isn't that incredible? He's like, I'm going to keep my end of the bargain. 
I'm going to keep my promise. And since I know that you can't keep your promise, I'm going to keep that part of the bargain too. And that's exactly what he did when he came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ. Whenever Jesus showed up on the scene, it says that the, uh, John the Baptist, whenever he saw Jesus, the Messiah, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Here he is, the fulfillment of the promise that God in Jesus Christ lived a perfect, in perfect obedience to God's law. And having pure righteousness, he's the only person to ever live, to live perfect and purely righteous. Then he dies on the cross in our place for our sin. And he imputes his righteousness to all those who believe on him in faith. So not only does God make this beautiful promise that he's going to be a, a blessing, an offspring that's going to be a blessing to all the families of the world, but then he provides for that promise through Jesus Christ. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. It says, For our sake he made him, speaking of Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our sin so that he could give us his righteousness and declare us as righteous. We see uh, this idea teased out in Romans uh, chapter 4, if you want to flip there with me to Romans chapter 4 and uh, verse 22 through 25. Paul speaks of this and says, That is why his faith, speaking of Abram's faith, his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised him from the dead, Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Where he says, in, remember that major verse, Genesis 15, 6? He believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. He says, that's not just for Abraham. That's for all of us who believe in Jesus Christ. That today you can be counted as righteous before God simply by trusting in him as Lord and as Savior. Trusting that he is the promise keeper to promise that a relationship with him would be the biggest blessing that you'd ever experience. More than any material thing you could gain in this world, a relationship with the creator of the universe, the creator of your soul. That's what you get when you get Jesus by faith. You can be counted as righteous no matter what you've done. No matter what you've done. You have not out the grace of our God. And he's extending forgiveness to you, righteousness to you. Simply believe him. 
I also want you to turn with me to Galatians chapter 3. It's another section in the New Testament that teaches out this um, idea from the life of Abraham. And uh, Galatians chapter 3 uh, verse 6 says this, Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness, know then that it is those who, of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles, meaning non-Jewish people, by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed, along with Abraham, the man of faith. Look over to chapter 3, verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no male or female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Isn't that incredible news? Isn't that incredible news? That he, how can we sing the song, Father Abraham had many sons. Many sons had Father Abraham. I'm one of them, and so are you, so let's praise the Lord. How can we sing that song as people who aren't Jewish? Because he says, if you believe by faith in the God of Abraham, you partake of that promise. What he promised to Abraham, you inherit that promise as spiritual offspring of Abraham. This is amazing. So God promises an offspring that through him the whole world will be blessed. And then he provides that offspring in Jesus Christ. That through him the whole world has access to the blessing of a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So maybe you've done some things that you regret or that you're ashamed of or that you wish you could do over and Maybe you think there's no way that God could want a relationship with you. Let me tell you, He does. He looks at you, and if you, by faith, trust in Him for the forgiveness of your sins, that Jesus came, God came in the flesh, and Jesus Christ lived perfectly, a perfect life, and then He gave up His life for you and for me on the cross, paying the penalty for our sin, and he rose from the grave to offer us new life and forgiveness of sin and a relationship with Him so that we can inherit this blessing that is given thousands of years ago to Father Abraham. All you have to do is trust in Him, to believe on Him, and it will be counted to you as righteousness. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, I just thank you for this opportunity to speak into the lives of people watching this. And Father, I pray that, um, that those, anyone watching that does not know you, that has not trusted you, doesn't have a relationship with you, maybe they feel far from you, God, that they would see how you just grabbed a hold of Abraham's life out of his paganism and you transformed him and you blessed him and you made amazing promises to him and that we, by faith in Jesus, can inherit that same blessing, that same promise. So Father, I pray that today your spirit would work on the hearts of, of men and women, that you would prompt them to turn from their sin and to 
trust you and place their faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of their sin. That you'd allow them to be born again by your spirit and experience newness of life and freedom from the bondage of sin. Father, I pray for those who are watching who trust you and know you and love you. I pray that they would be challenged today that we would emulate Abraham's faith as he was called out of his comfort zone into the unknown, but he faithfully obeyed you and and that we would quit acting so timidly when you call us to do things, but step out boldly, trusting that you will take care of the results of our obedience and that we would trust you afresh that seeing the beauty of your plan of salvation and redemption throughout history, that we would magnify you as the great God that you are and worship you with our lives today and every day. Father, I pray you bless my brothers and sisters watching today. Seal this word in their heart, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, it's good to be with you. Uh, I pray that sometime maybe you can come visit us on a Sunday, 10 o'clock. But until then, uh, just know that you are loved.